The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. MLB show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Fedorsky and Bryce Holden. Welcome to episode 247 of the Underdog Sports Baseball Show with Bryce Holden. My name is Chase Fedorsky. Merry Christmas to all who celebrated yesterday and a Merry Kwanzaa to all listeners who were celebrating today. I guess by the time you listen to this, it won't be Kwanzaa, but uh, I I genuinely... Don't know how long Kwanzaa is. I think it's multiple days. I thought the first day was the 25th. Apple Calendar has it in the 26th, and it doesn't show if it's uh, multiple days. Does it, what about Hanukkah? Only has Hanukkah. It only keeps the first day, so. We'll educate ourselves for next week, team. Regardless, happy, ho- happy holidays to all those celebrating. Um, it's the last week of 2023, and uh, I'm going to be honest. I gave this a lot of thought. 2023, up there for my favorite years that I've had on Earth. In, go on. In the running for number one, to be honest with you. Really the only, and again, very fortunately, the only truly bad thing that happened to me was when I broke my face open. But even that, as someone who was living with me at the time, you can attest, I was pretty much making jokes about that within 24 hours. And at this point, it's made a fairly funny party story and a good life lesson in the process. Because as you know, I have a lot of weddings to go to. Um, in the next calendar year and beyond. And I learned a valuable lesson of, one, try not to take shots, but that's not super realistic all the time. So two, if you're going to take shots, eat a lot of food during the cocktail hour. It's there for a reason. Valuable life lessons. Those are, yep, that, well, what was the old, what was the high? Give me, give me the highlight of the year. I'm going to go the highlight of the year, honestly, was, uh, I'll go the week of my birthday. Like, caught a couple of Yanks Astros games, caught three fish shows, got to celebrate with my family. Obviously, you were one of like 17 friends who came for my birthday um, at the Garden, which was an awesome experience. I don't know. I just like did a lot of traveling, went to a lot of new places, celebrated a lot of, you know, milestone events in my friends and family's life. Nobody died, which is great. <laughs> There's still time. There is still time. Knocking three times loud and clear. Um, but no, just, you know, saw a lot of places, did a lot of things. Um Saw a lot of movies, saw a lot of sporting events, million concerts. So, you know, not that out of the ordinary for what my usual years would look like, um, but just a good year all around. Although, it did end this week with, with as I told you, um, a BovadaSportsbook.com beat that wasn't quite as bad as our Pirates beat, um, but when you throw a seven-leg $5 what-the-hell-every-guy-to-score parlay, and the only guy who doesn't hit is the guy who you thought was the surest thing in Tyreek Hill, um, that was a tough pill to swallow, and uh, my family saw a side of me that I prefer them not to see. Yeah, that is, yeah, a Tyree, that's a tough beat. Because you know what, the Pirates beat we found out about after the fact, this was in real time. That Pirates beat was devastating. But still not the lowest moment of my 2023. 2023 for me, oh boy, <laughs> I'm not even going to get, I mean, it was the... The, probably the year with the highest highs and the lowest of lows in a, like quite some time. My work, the year started off rough with work. Like, God, that took fucking forever. But, you know, fought our way through and... What, became a Cali boy for a bit? 
And uh, to quote, I think it's Rihanna, you found love in a hopeless place. When I was in New Orleans, I was, when I was told, tipped off, that something, I may have a big life event coming my way. And did I expect this, that? Just I, to be clear, there's no baby on the way. We would have reported that already. Would have reported that, but, well, you don't know what happened in New Orleans. Or we would have given you a play-by-play from the clinic. Which one? <laughs> Dealer's choice. Good podcasting. <laughs> no, but all in all, um, solid year. And you know what? For baseball, a good year. We saw a lot of new teams. It was a great season for baseball. It was a great season for baseball. We saw a lot of new teams in the mix, which was important. I mean, again, if you had said before the year that the Yanks, Padres, and Mets all would have missed the playoffs, um, you would have said, all right, let's see what happens. Um, But a new juggernaut may have emerged somewhat. I mean, if the Rangers can figure this out with the pitching and the injuries, that that lineup to me, I don't see that lineup being bad. I, I know they just lost Mitch Garver, but like, whatever <laughs> in the grand scheme of things like that core is going to be together a long time and they still got more reinforcements on the way well i feel like they didn't have their they had the al all-star team mostly all-stars it felt like every ranger made yeah the and we should preface you lost mitch garver because your all-star starting catcher who was the all mlb second team catcher is jonah heim that uh, you you would throw simeon seager adolis up against any trio in baseball yeah, I might still take Mookie, Freddie, and Otani, but... <laughs> they are older. The Dodgers trio is older. And, God, they're certain... I don't know. I, I, it's like, you want to just... And just like, can any third Yankee emerge just so we can be in the conversation? If, St- if Stanton turns back the clock, then it's... But, again, the Rangers... Good for them. The right, And it felt like the right team kind of won it in the end. You know, it's not... It wasn't one of those... I still would have liked to see the Phillies finish the job. But again, that's a team I also don't see going with. They even said this week they're going to really try this offseason to lock Wheeler up. So They should. Um, yeah, baseball, again, you saw a lot of new stars, new teams. And it was kind of like, again, I, I wanted the Yankees to win. The, if I had my choice, the Yankees win the World Series every year. That would be good for me. I'm a Yankees fan. But without the Yankees dominating, it felt like... Uh, the baseball's in a good place. You got the Phillies, the Dodgers, the Braves, the Rangers, and Astros, Texas rivalry. There's good rivalries around. The big market teams the, should be getting better. What, what baseball needs at this point, they need the Red Sox and uh, the Mets will be back. With Cohen's money and Stearns, I'm not worried. They need the Red Sox and the Giants to get their shit together. They want you because you know what? I guess that's the one thing that baseball should have on their wish list is a. Again, they might have it in Texas. But it's still new. They need a rivalry. They don't have a... Oh, you know we forgot for Texas, too? Josh Junk started in the fucking All-Star game. Yeah. I mean, I guess Phillies... Are Phillies Is Phillies Braves the best rivalry going right now? <sighs> Probably. Yeah. But I feel like the... I don't know. There's something off with the Braves. Am I crazy to think something's off with the Braves? Like, no. But even this year, I mean, you look at the All-Star starters, just in terms of, like, you still had Otani, but then, like... Simeon, a ro- like guys who were good, but like, I mean, we love Marcus Simeon more than anyone, but like fully emerges like superstars here. Like Simeon, Randy put it together in a regular season. Yandy Diaz, who's always been a guy in our fantasy leagues, we know, but won the AL batting title. Yeah, won the AL batting title, right? Because yeah. Seager didn't have enough at bats. Mm-hmm. Adolis, Austin Hayes, Josh Jung, Jonah Heim. I mean, in the NL, NL was a little bit more chalky. Um, but Corbin Carroll emerging. And it's just. And Arias. It, it feels like for the first time in a while, too, like, we just have so many good young stars, too. And not only do we have good young stars, we have them 
in markets like Arizona, Julio in Seattle, um, Adley and Gunner in Baltimore, where it's like teams that need bases. Bobby Wood Jr. Bobby Wood Jr. in Kansas City. Like all those guys where teams that are, you know, usually on the periphery a bit have their superstars. Oh, Ellie De La Cruz in Cincinnati. I mean, the Reds, you can name half that lineup as great young players right now. So, so baseball, on the whole, it's in a good spot. They they just, like, the fear would be the Dodgers win 130 games and sweep their way through October. Or, or as Big Cat tweeted, um, this is a preview for our big news of the week, um, it's going to rock when the Dodgers win 120 games and get bounced in the first round, so we have to hear how the playoffs are unfair to an entire month. Cincinnati Reds, you're on the clock to bounce them. Um, and we talked about the Dodgers. They signed one Japanese superstar. And, you know, this next guy, the Yanks, were mentioned as the Bavada favorite at one point. But it felt like this guy, especially once they signed Otani, um, was always going to go to the Dodgers. And the Dodgers have their ace. Um, Yoshinobu Yamamoto agreed to a 12-year, $325 million contract with the Dodgers. $50 million signing bonus. More importantly, no deferrals. So a straight-up $325 million contract. Um, and a $51 million posting fee for the Oryx Buffaloes, his former team, uh, which brings the commitment north of $375 million. And there's opt-outs after the 2029 and 2031 season. So he'll be 31 and I think 33 years there. Uh, and the contract is backloaded in nature, which will help encourage Yamamoto from the Dodgers side not to opt out. Um, before we break down the player and the contract, I, to me, that will get slept on in this deal is the Dodgers already have a huge Latin American and Asian fan base just by virtue of being Los Angeles. You now, like, the Blue Jays, in theory, have the entire nation of Canada supporting them. You now, I think, have an entire country of Japan supporting your team for the next decade. Yeah, when I was in Tokyo recently, one of my highlights of 2023, um, Shohei Otani was everywhere in that city. It was Otani all over billboards, and you couldn't get through the airport without seeing him 100 times. Uh, Japan loves baseball. Like I, I wasn't there long enough to catch a baseball game, but Japan has long loved baseball, and the baseball over there is it's, it's supposed to be very good baseball. They've long baseball, love baseball, and they're really good at it, especially on the international stage. And that Tokyo, to, like, I'm not saying you you can go Tokyo to LA for a weekend, but that flight's not terrible. Like it's close enough, and time times are so weird in Tokyo though. Look, they they love their baseball. L.A. would be the city that makes sense for them to just gravitate to. It's a big enough market. You don't have to re-educate the country of Japan on what Los Angeles is. It's, it's not like when Ichiro went to Seattle. But even when Ichiro did go to Seattle, I feel like that was huge for Japan. Like, yeah, Pacific Northwest. Big Asian communities. So well. this is great. And I mean, that's just like off the field stuff. On the field. Yeah, let's talk about it now. So he's been the best pitcher in Japan for the last few seasons. And again, this is the largest contract um, by $1 million dollars ever given to a pitcher. Um, it said the Yankees partially wouldn't go above 300 because they didn't think a pitcher should get more than Garrett, which, uh, if it's true, I respect on some level. Um, but he's 25 years old. Um, he had a 195 ERA in his age 20 season, kicking off a run of five straight years where he did not have an ERA above 2-2 in the NPB. Um, that included sub-2 ERA seasons in the last three years. Um, he's won the Sawamura Award as Japanese Best Pitcher in the last three years as well. Uh, 2021, 139 ERA over 193 and two-third innings. Won six ERA in 193 frames the next season. And this year, 121 ERA through 168 frames. Um, among MPB pitchers to reach 100 innings, his ERA was more than half a run lower than anyone else's. 
Um, and he punched out 26.6% of opposing hitters against a tidy 4.4% walk rate. Um, you know, the contract for this is backed by both scouting and quantitative evaluations of the arsenal. Um, conservative estimates on his upside point to a future as a number two, high-end number two starter. Uh, Eno Saris of The Athletic recently broke down his repertoire, um, and he thinks he has three plus or better offerings, including a split-fingered fastball that should be amongst the best in the majors. Uh, he also throws in the upper 90s with just a normal fastball, a curveball, and a cutter as his third and fourth offerings there. Um and again, to me, these numbers are incredible. But the, one of the biggest reasons, and we'll talk more about this in a second, um, that the Japanese pitchers scare me. They scare me for two reasons, one of which we'll get to in a sec. But the Japanese pitchers are a ticking time bomb just because they don't really do pitch counts over there. Like We routinely hear about Japanese pitchers throwing 140, 150 pitches. But the biggest adjustment is in Japan, you pitch once a week, and that is your pretty set routine. Major League Baseball obviously doesn't work that way. So the fact that he, in 2021 and, 2021 and 2022, topped 190 innings both years, it kind of scares me and is encouraging if you're a Dodgers fan. It's encouraging from the standpoint of workload-wise, it won't be that much of an adjustment. But the flip side is, he's already had that kind of a workload. And with their, not necessarily lack of interest in pitch counts, but how they just let guys go, like they don't let, we don't let pitchers go in America... It does kind of add to the idea of the arm being a bit of a ticking time bomb. Um, just because, again, you look at every starting pitcher that's come over from Japan, outside of Hiroki Kuroda, who came over when he was you know, in his early 30s at that point, um, Maeda just got Tommy John, Darvish has gotten the surgery, Otani's gotten the twice, Dice K got it. Um, is there anyone I'm forgetting offhand that kind of fits this? Like Darvish was hurt a bunch? Yeah, Darvish. I don't know if Iwakuma's gotten it, um, but he's even battled... Um, I, it's your point. I think you made the point. The, the point lasts. Um, it's such an interesting signing. It's so much money. He's also, for whatever it's worth, like, and again, we've seen this work with young, smaller pitchers, with Pedro being the best example, but he's a 5'10 right-hander. Um, so that gives me a slight concern there, but he's the first pitcher in recent history to even hit the 10-year mark. So this is the largest pitcher ever given to, largest contract ever given to a pitcher in terms of both years um, and total money. The AAV is only at $27.08 million. So doesn't break the bank there. Like, this is right around what Aaron Nola got. Um, so will help their revenue uh, tax balance there. Um, but it's still going to happen in the $282 million range there. Um, but again, this plus the posting fee, I, again, he went for right around $400 million, which, again, credit to the Dodgers. They got this done. The Mets offered three twenty-five dollars to match it. Um, the Yanks went 10 to 300, um, but I don't think Wanna gave opt-outs after the fifth and eighth seasons there. The Giants, Red Sox, Blue Jays, and Phillies uh, were also in the mix. So again, this is why Otani deferred his contract, to help get a deal like this done. Um, we'll talk about the impact for the Dodgers shortly, but I, I mean, what do you make of this? To me, I, I get it. This guy has all the potential in the world to be a future ace, but to give it to a, a, to a 25-year-old, which is obviously why I got the money, but a guy... Who, again, I still think Asian pitchers' arms are a ticking time bomb within a couple of years. And a guy who, outside of the WBC, has never faced big league hitters, it's just mind-blowing to me. I, I wouldn't have given this contract. If I was running no way. No way. I, it's way too much to give a guy who's never done anything. It, it, it's a brand new... It's not... Look, it's, baseball is baseball, but it's different. It is different. And like you said, you just went through the long list of Asian pitchers 
who come over and get hurt within a, within two, three years. And if you're the Dodgers and you're going to go all in on this top-heavy team, you've seen it with Dodgers teams in the past. Once one guy falls over, how much different would this Dodgers team have been if they had Walker Bueller last year? Would have been a huge difference. Or honestly, if just Dustin May stays healthy. Or if Kershaw was, I mean, Kershaw had the worst postseason start ever. Or Gonsolin. Gonsolin the year before, I think, finished, what, second or third in the Cy Young vote behind they, Sandy? They, so. keep, they keep losing guys. And I don't, this isn't on Yamamoto. This isn't, I'm not attacking him with this take. I would love for one of these contracts to blow up in the team's face. I think this is a, it's a dangerous way to do business, and I want one of these things to serve as a cautionary tale. I wish nothing. I don't wish any ill will towards this guy. I just think as a learning tool for professional sports teams, offering absurd amounts of money to people who have never played the game before is a dangerous precedent, and you, it's, it's not going to work every time. You see it smaller scale with some Latin guys who come up and don't always pan out. But that's like what a seventy million dollar contract that goes awry. That that's no. This is a record setting contract. It's a record setting contract. Plus, if it doesn't pan out, you're on the hook for twelve years. I I mean, for context, he's going to be pitching as a Dodger until I'm forty. So if this doesn't pan out, he's not going to opt out, and then you're on the hook with this for twelve years. He's not going to opt out regardless. If, If he opts out of this contract, then holy shit. Um, look, when we said when they brought in Otani, two world, one World Series wasn't enough to justify the Otani contract to make it a success. I mean, how, now that they have Otani and Yamamoto, how many World Series do they need? I you, think they you need, gotta win at least three over this twelve-year stretch. I think. I think sooner than that, because these their hitters are getting old. Like, I, honestly, if they don't win, if they. I, there's a lot of pressure on this team for this year. Here's the thing. With this Otani deferred money, though, I think it's going to become almost what the LeBron Heat were or the Steph KD Warriors were, where, again, they don't they, they have the, the most transcendent player in baseball on the books for $2 million in actual money, 40 odds some million in luxury tax money. I, I think you're going to see a lot of veteran guys who just want to chase a ring, sign with this team over the next couple of years, especially while they still have Mookie and Freddie. I- I know we've talked about... Does that it. happen in baseball? I think it might start to a bit more. I feel like that's not really a baseball thing. I think for pitchers, no. But I think for hitters, you sign one, two-year deals, which is what you just said, especially with the hitters aging. Um, and I do think for whatever it's worth, they're two superstar hitters outside of Montani, Mookie and Freddie. I see their games aging well. So that's less of a concern for me in that regard. Um, but again, the Dodgers needed pitching. They now go into next year with... Bueller, Yamamoto, Glass now on top of the rotation. Bobby Miller behind them. I still think Kershaw comes back. You get Kershaw over the summer. You're going to get May and Gonsolin back at some point. Um, I still think they can use a left-handed starter, and I could see them going after one there. But, I mean, with all these moves, I know we've been talking about it a lot. Are the Dodgers now the Bavada favorite of the National League with Yamamoto in tow? In my book, yes, but I still think you're taking the Diamondbacks, right? I I think I said it was Yamamoto-dependent. Um I still think the Dodgers could use... If they go out and get a left-handed starter, then maybe. I, I Right now, I don't know. I think they're so... At this point, they should. They, they're they so all-in, and it's already World Series or bust. Like, finances be damned. They should just sign whoever. Yeah, it's at this point... You know, look, Yamamoto... Like, they, they should go after Hayter, too. And, and it still doesn't change, though, given what we've said in the last 10 minutes about Yamamoto's arm being a ticking time bomb, and then the fact that the rest of their rotation is pretty much exclusively one, if not two, Tommy John guys, the rotation is still concerning to me. Um, this this rotation, more so than any rotation in recent memory, 
I think has the widest variety of outcomes in terms of a very, very low floor, but the highest of high ceilings. If everybody does what they are supposed to do, then the Dodgers are going to be fa- – are they going to be the Bavada favorite in every single game they play this year? Maybe not against Atlanta, like in Atlanta, if Atlanta throws out Freed, Strider, and Morton. But other than that, I, I can't think of a three-game series where you'd go in with these three guys and that lineup and not be the favorite. How hot is Dave Roberts' seat? I think if they don't win the pennant this year, he's gone. I think if you get to the World Series, that gives them some leverage because as we've seen the last couple of years, anything could happen once you get to the Fall Classic. But it, this is just a staggering amount of money to give to a guy who's never pitched in the big leagues. And I'll turn it around from the Yankees real quick. Like, look, I know Yankee fans, this is one of our top targets, but like, there are people on Twitter who are like, oh, the Yankees didn't do this, the Yankees didn't do that. We offered 10 years, $300 million to a guy who's never pitched. Um, and on top of it, Especially in light of the Otani deal, I think the Soto floor is going to be like four or five hundred million dollars. So you got to somewhat budget for that. I have no problem with the fact that we didn't, we, that we held our ground at three hundred million dollars and said this is our best and final offer. I was watching one of the shows today. I forgot which one, but they said, or no, maybe it was a podcast. Whatever I was listening to, it doesn't really matter. I think it was Colin actually. It was Coward. When we grew up. There was a 10, 15-year run when a $300 million offer from the Yankees would trump 325 from every team. Uh, and that's just not where the Yankees are. The, that's not what the Yankees brand is anymore. Well, now it's the Dodgers are that brand, plus they offered the most money on top of it. So when you spell it out that way, that clearly, it's like, yeah, this is a no-brainer. Yeah, but like, look, the Yankees are now the second. They're, they're, se- they're second to the Dodgers. It is the Dodgers league, and the Yankees are the number two. So, you know, now that the Dodgers, now that Yamamoto has been a Dodger or is a Dodger, you know, let's look at the teams that we're in. Um, I'll throw out the Yanks, Mets, let's say Yanks, Mets, Giants, Red Sox, Blue Jays. The Phillies being in the mix, if the Phillies do nothing else this offseason, I still think they're fine for next year now they brought Nola back. They could probably use one more back of the rotation arm, but you go in the next year. They have all-star on Michael Lorenzo. He's a free agent. But you go in the next year with... um, Wheeler, Nola, Suarez, Walker, and Christopher Sanchez. You're fine. You're totally fine. With that lineup, you're fine. You're totally fine. Um, we'll save the Yankees for last. Again, this is it was with Otani and Yamamoto back-to-back weeks where the Giants basically could have offered the same amount of money, which they did in both cases, and they just the free agents just simply it seems like don't want to go there. What can the Giants do to change this perception around baseball? If anything. Well, I think San Francisco as a city is kind of like in a weird spot right now. And that, I can't imagine that helps, but I don't think that's the biggest deterrent. They need, they need, um, they need, they just need one guy to take the fucking money. They need one guy. They, they you know who they need? They need their Jason Worth. They need their Jason Worth, the national side. It should be Bellinger. It should, it should be, they should sign Bellinger. They should sign, they should, uh, they should sign Snellinger. They should get the two of them and just start building something. Cause right now. They're as uninspiring of a roster as there is in the league. No one jumps off the page. It's all very eh. So here are some Bavada free agent picks that I think are the domino effect from here. I'll go with you. I'll I'll send Snell and Bellinger to the Giants. Okay, well now we're starting. Um, The Blue Jays, again, the Blue Jays are another team to me. I, I almost think they need another bat. 
Um, if they go into next year with, well, they should bring back Chapman. With yeah, they should bring back. They should focus on Matt Chapman. If they go into next year with Gausman, Bassett, Berrios, Manoa as the five starter, and then I feel like I'm missing um, another solid starter. Even like Kikuchi was pretty good last oh, year. Oh, they have uh, Ryu. I think he's also a free agent. Who are we forgetting? So you go to next year with Gausman, Barrios, Bass, Kikuchi, and then I do think Manoa rebounds without the pressure of having to be the ace. Um, I think they're fine there. I think for them it's bringing back Chapman. Red Sox, I think, will overspend for Jordan Montgomery. I really don't think he leaves. I, I, Texas needs to bring him back. I know. I just think the Red Sox, they, they got to do something. Their ownership doesn't care about the team anymore. That that's their biggest issue, and like it's that sucks because if baseball really wants to get back, they need Yankees, Red Sox on the East Coast, and Dodgers, anyone on the West Coast. And that leaves us with the New York Yankees. I mean, look, I'd love for us to sell sign Snell. I love a Monty reunion. I think the two moves you do, you sign Marcus Stroman to a three-year deal with an opt-out after two. I think Stroman Blue Jays homecoming. I'd love him in New York, man. He's a competitor. He, we know he can handle New York. I'm not uh, sure what went there. Him in Chicago seemed like it made all the sense in the world. But I guess he's from Long Island, so it's a homecoming of sorts. Of sorts. Um, and then um, I'd sign Brandon Woodruff to the same. I'd sign him to a two-year deal. Let That's him, what I told you. I said, Let him rehab on the dime, and then you get him. Because then you set up for I 2025. Just so yeah. you know, I texted Chase that, and I said, trade for Burns while you're at it. And then we can just kind of have the Brewers. At a minimum, though, you get Stroman and Woodruff. You're, you go into this year, and your rotation is Cole Rodon, Stroman, Nestor, Clark Schmidt. I feel okay about that. I honestly, the the Rodon thing. Rodon starts the season in my in my doghouse. He he needs to do. He needs to prove it. He needs to stay healthy. Like I I cannot. If you're trying to make a Yankees win the World Series argument hinging on Rodon, that that is a bad that's a bad case. Here's what I think is realistically going to happen though. Even though Super Bowl pens have worked basically like twice in the last 25 years, the Royals being one, and that's like kind of it in terms of teams that like won the World Series in my mind. Um, the Brewers Super Bowl pen got them to that Game Seven of the CS. What they'll do instead is they will. I kind of lost my train of thought here, but um, they'll re-sign Frankie Montas to a one-year deal and hope he rebounds, and then go and sign like maybe not Hater, but like uh, Jordan Hicks or you know another hard-throwing relief pitcher, and say our bullpen is going to be able to carry the rotation, uh, which is not the case. Yes, that is not the case, but we could be looking at a hundred homers between Judge and Soto. That's the hope, man. But in the meantime, um, Dodgers have a monopoly over the nation of Japan. They have Otani. They have Yamamoto, the top two free agents. Uh, and do you think they're done for the offseason at this point? Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I think I think they can take a victory lap, around, I guess, around the Pacific Rim because they crush it. Sticking in the Northwest, uh, this time the Pacific Northwest, Mariners added a bat. Um all-star Mitch Garver agreed to a two-year, $24 million contract with the Mariners. Um, Cal Raleigh's obviously Seattle's top backstop, but Garver gives the Mariners a prominent bat who can act as a backup catcher and a DH. Um, this year with the Rangers, that's really filled. 
870 OPS and a 270 average, 19 homers and 344 plate appearances. Uh, and then DH the whole postseason run, uh, three homers over 68 plate appearances, hit 226, 317, 434. Um, a lot of injury history with Garver. Uh, he did miss two mo- months this year due to a left knee sprain. Um, he's played in only 232 of a possible 546 games since the start of the 2023 seasons. Um, so again, this allows him to stay in a DH role, play some catcher, get him in for 140 games there. Um, and, and, you know, everyone has suggested his ideal landing spot is a team with a more reliable catching option. So he has a clear path to DH, uh, faces less pressure to regularly suit up behind the plate and the switch hitting Cal Raleigh, obviously 30 homer guy, um, does that. But all that said, you know, the Mariners are set to assume total ownership of their Root Sports Net Northwest Regional Sports Network on January 1st. And the related uh, additional costs have reportedly limited the team's ability to spend on player payroll. Um, Jerry DePoto said in early December that the payroll would rise from its estimated $140 million figure from 2023. Yet most of the club's moves prior to this Garver signing were designated cut costs. Uh, they traded Eugenio Suarez uh, and Jared Kalenic to get off the contracts of uh, Marco Gonzalez and Evan White. As it stands now, their payroll's right about $128.5 million. So, you know, they still may have some flexibility there in the $12, $13 million range. But looking at the Mariners holistically, like, look, I think Garver is a great fit for this team. He's a proven right-handed bat. I think he slides into that DH role nicely. But at the end of the day, you're basically just replacing, if not getting less production than you got from Eugenio Suarez. And you still need to figure out third base on top of it. This Mariners team, they broke the playoff streak in 2022. This year, they were in until the last week of the season. You got this great pitching staff with, you know, Castillo, Gilbert, Kirby. You're getting former Cy Young winner Robbie Ray back at some point this year. Good deep bullpen despite the Paul Seawall trade. But it just seems like since last year's trade deadline when, again, we saw the D-backs right now with Corbin Carroll. They won, and now they're spending money to keep winning. And I think that's a good parallel for this team. You know, since the deadline, you traded your all-star closer in Paul Seawall. And since then, I've just kind of cut, cut, cut when you have that great pitching staff and Julio and some great young bats. And this is just a really tough stretch if you're a Mariners fan. You know, I want to separate the Garver signing from the whole offseason because I do think Garver is a good bet move for them. But when we were walking to my apartment to record this, we both said like solid move in a vacuum. But if this is your big move for the offseason and on top of it, you sold off Kalenic, you got rid of Suarez. This is a disaster. It's... They they did the thing I don't want teams to do. They had all the momentum in the world. They were my team. They were my pick to come out of the AL this year. I thought Seattle was going to win the AL, ride the momentum of finally getting the playoffs, winning a series last year, and they've just done nothing. And like Mitch Garver's a good player, but in the grand scheme of things, if he's your big move, you've still done nothing. And like Depoto's, I mean, you want to talk about how he needs to do something. Because all he does is these little moves around the edge, and he never makes a big swing. Like, they need a piece there, because that division, the Angels and the A's are dumpster fires. But Houston and Texas aren't going anywhere. They need to make a move. I don't even know what it would be at this point. And it's it, it just it's pretty simple as just adding bats. Because, again, Castillo, Kirby, Gilbert, Bryce Miller, Emerson Hancock, Robbie Ray, you have great young pitching. You have a bullpen similar to the Rays, where everyone just throws gas. It just is literally a matter of... Have they brought the Oscar back? The Oscar's still out there. I mean, right now, in terms of above-average hitters at their position... Cal Raleigh. Cal Raleigh. Ty France was an all-star, but regressed last year. You got Josh Rojas, Luis Urias at second and third. 
J.P. Crawford led the AL in walks last year, but again, that was a career year. And then their outfield is Dominic Canzone, Sam Haggerty, and Julio. That's not going to cut it. No, and it's and Seattle. Seattle's another one of those cities when the team's good, it's a lot of fun. Like Seattle should be good, and they had. I I don't know how they've gone so far backwards so fast. So this is what I do if I'm them. Um, Ty France played a little bit all over the infield earlier in his career. Mm-hmm. I'd move Ty France to third. I'd sign Reese Hoskins. Okay. Get some more pop in that lineup. Um, Are they a team that could take a fun shot on Tim Anderson? Hope he rebounds. I mean, yes, but at the same time... And what, put him at second? Yeah, why not? So, yeah, if they want to cut corners and not spend a lot, yeah, you know what, we'll give them... I was going to say maybe send Chapman there, but I don't think they're going to break the bank. So let's give them Hoskins, Tim Anderson, and... They um, need to bring back um, the Oscar. Again, I don't think they, they need spend an out, They need an outfielder. Are they a team that Bell, could Bellinger go there if they were going to break the bank for? If they were going to go all in, they're a team that makes sense. On we're going to give them. Here's what we're going to give. We're going to give them Tim Anderson. We're going to give them Hoskins, and we're going to give them Tommy Pham. Again, that's like that's. A I'm lot not of, saying it's a good team, but that's a lot of it's a lot of above average, but not a lot of great. I I just again, if you weren't going to re-sign Tiasker, I don't see him breaking the bank for Bellinger or any of the. And Bellinger at this point is probably the only upper echelon bat really out there still. So that's where I'm sending them. I'm giving them Reese Hoskins, I'm giving them Tim Anderson, and I'm giving them Tommy Pham. We're solving all these teams' problems today, Chase. And then you know what? Look, the lineup's not unbelievable, but a lineup with Cal Raleigh, Hoskins, um, Tim Anderson, Ty France, J.P. Crawford, Julio, Garver, and Tommy Pham, with that pitching, we'll compete. I mean, they'll be the good news for Seattle is the floor is third place in their division. Yeah, only can go up from there. So I'm interested to see how the rest of the Mariners uh, offseason pans out. Uh, the Padres they signed a new relief pitcher, so this. All but guarantees Josh Hader is going somewhere else, which is kind of new anyway. Uh, real quick, who would you say right now is the Bavada favorite for Hader? Uh, I mean, I, it was Texas, so I don't really think I'll... I'm, I'll stick with Texas. I'm going to say Hader's going to... Uh, or the Phillies, and then solve their bullpen for real with Hader. Yeah. I would, if the Phillies were in on Yamamoto, that means they're comfortable spending money. So I'm going to go with the Phillies as well. Uh, I like Hader there. Uh, but the Padres did sign a potential new closer... Um, a lot of Asian players on the move the last couple weeks. Yuki Matsui, five-year contract for $28 million guaranteed over the life of the contract, which includes opt-out after the third and fourth seasons of the deal, as well as an injury clause that can convert the fifth year of the contract to a club million options worth $7 million if Matsui suffers a serious elbow injury during the life of the contract. Real quick, I just want to say Dodgers, I know obviously you probably couldn't work this language in and get the job done, but I love that language with foreign pitchers. Good on the Padres for at least doing that. Um, the AAV comes in at just $5.6 million a year and covers Matsui's age 30 to 32 seasons with the first opt-out coming after the 2026 campaign when he is 30. While he can't reasonably be expected to match Hader's incredible production, uh, the lefty has put together an excellent career over his own right in the MPB. Um, he's racked up 236 saves and 501 appearances while earning five all-star nods. In 659 and two-thirds innings of work during his career, he has a sterling 2-4 ERA with a 31.9% strikeout rate. And over the last three years, that's gone up to a 36.4% strikeout rate and 1-4-2 ERA across 152 innings. 
Um, he's a four-pitch mix that includes a 92 to 94 mile per hour fastball that touches 96. Splitter, slider, curveball. Um, and while he did struggle to adjust to the MLB ball during the WBC, um, with that mix of velocity and some time to adjust, um, the Padres, you know, wanted the lefty for their bullpen. But again, another guy, 5'8", 167 pounds. Um, so could have some... I could take him in a fight. You could probably take him in a fight. He could probably out-eat you. Um, but again, a, a guy who... Uh, to me, you look at those numbers. I love when guys take flyers on foreign relievers because I don't worry as much about the stuff playing over the course of one or two innings. Um, so I like this move for the Padres. I love flyers on relievers. Obviously, it's not going to replace Hader, but $5 million a year for a lefty with that kind of stuff and unbelievable numbers in the MPB. Why not? See if you could pair, pair him with uh, Robert Suarez on the back of that bullpen. Go lefty-righty, just pounding the zone. Yeah, that should work. It's nice that the Padres did something. Tough offseason for them on the whole, I would say. To be polite, uh, yeah, they're like you. I mean, I everything I just said about Seattle going the wrong way fast, double it for San Diego. Yeah, but at least there's like some. But at least they have Machado, Bogarts, Tatis, the star power, star power, which helps a lot. We talked last week about the Pirates just doing uh, just about nothing, and uh, they made two moves. One of which was to bring back future Pirates Hall of Famer. Um, Andrew McCutcheon to a one-year one-year $5 million deal uh, for the 2024 season. That's like a lot of money for Kutch. You know, Kutch, look, he's not the MVP candidate he used to be, and he did partially tear his Achilles in September, um, but should be back towards the start of the regular season. Um, but last year, one-year $5 million, Kutch was decent enough. I mean, 776 OPS, 12 homers, 43 ribbies, 7 steals, uh, but more importantly, a 378 on base percentage in... How many games did he get in? 112 games. Uh, yes, clearly he's not what he used to be and is pretty limited to DH, um, but can play a little bit of the outfield, 11 steals, still a little bit of you know base running ability there. The big thing is, look, this Pirates team was a really fun month, the last for, run, fun team to watch like that first month or two of the season, and then ultimately started playing with the Pirates. Um, but, you know, Jack Sawinski, Brian Reynolds, some of these young outfielders, I think having McCutcheon in the lineup and just his presence in the locker room is worth the $5 million. Yeah. Um, for whatever it's worth, they'll cash in. He's one homer away for 300 so they'll be able to market that a little bit. Um, he's at 299 right there. Um, and again, this is a guy, you could probably make the case for this, uh, I was going to say this century, but you could probably even go back further than that. Bonds. I was going to say the last 30 years is Mr. Pirate. Anybody born... In my, if you were born in the 90s, the only Pittsburgh Pirate player, it's like if you try and do like face of franchise in our lifetime, McCutcheon of the Pirates is probably the easiest one. Yeah, 09 to 17, five time All Star, Gold Glove winner, MVP. Um, and they made the playoffs in three straight years from 13 to 15, um, which they hadn't done in quite some time prior to that. The last year, I think, was 91. This year, they finished 76 and 86, still below 500, but their best finish since 2018. Somebody brought this up, and to me it's an immediate no, but I'll just ask, if Kutch, say, hits 21 homers this year, gets to 310 homers, what, if any, would you say are the Bavada odds for Andrew McCutcheon on the Hall of Fame ballot? To me, it's an immediate no. It's not. It's an immediate no, and then you kind of do a double check, and you try and start selling yourself. Oh, he's got 2,000 hits, 300 homers, MVP. Yeah, say he gets 52 hits this year and he finishes with 300-plus homers, 2,100 hits, the MVP, this and that. I, I just think, 
You know can what you, it is? Can you pull up Bernie Williams numbers real quick? Bernie's, yeah. Bernie's minus the MVP or I mean, or I'll give you one more guy who I think compares favorably. I think Bernie fell off the ballot. Bernie fell off the ballot with 20, 2,330 six hits, 287 homers, a 381 on base, 297 average, 1,300 plus runs, 147 steals, and 1,250 RBIs. Uh, and one had everything McCutch had except the ring, or except the MVP, but had four rings and a batting title. That's a better a better career. Here's the thing with Kutch. Like, at the end of the day, Kutch's peak was unbelievable. But you take after 2016, which was his age 29 season, so when players are supposed to like peak peak, he's a 252, 349, 432 hitter. Which is a 781 OPS plus and a one or 111 OPS plus and a 781 OPS. Like his peak was great, and then never was really quite the same after that. It's he's a great example of why, like when we say guys who are great young are like, oh, they're a lock on the Hall of Fame trajectories. Like Kutch is a guy we would have said in 2016, like this guy has future Hall of Famer written all over him. He's coming off of a he peaked to twenty eight. He's coming off of five All Star appearances. The Pirates have been playing well. He's got the MVP, this and that. His age twenty eight season, he was worth five WAR, and that was it. Then 2016, 2020, he was a negative WAR player. He never got above outside of twenty seventeen three WAR after that. Yeah, he's not a Hall of Famer. It's pretty easy. But good to see him back in Pittsburgh. I, but I do think he'll get some... If the ballot clears up, I can see him getting votes. Again, you mentioned Bernie, another guy who I'm pretty sure was one and done. Like, Jim Edmonds, if he's one and done, and Kutch lingers around. I mean, Edmonds was a 60-war guy, 1949 hits, 393 homers. Elite defense. Eight-time gold glove, won a ring, and hit 284, 376, 527. He's a career OPS above 900 while being... I don't know, one of the five or six best defensive center fielders ever. Which isn't the bash Kutch. Get your number retired in Pittsburgh. I'm glad you came home. Pirate Hall of Famer. But, you know, just food for thought there. Uh, They also signed Martin Perez to a one-year $8 million deal. Uh, Martin Perez, I think, is now officially the poster child for the caution you have to exercise with the qualifying offer. Um, And again, the Rangers still won the World Series. But 2022, he was an all-star. 32 starts, 196 in third innings, 289 ERA. Um, this year, after accepting the $19.65 million qualifying offer, regressed to a 4.98 ERA and was sent to the bullpen, where in the last two months he had a 4.45 ERA. Um, he's basically going to, I think, replace Rich Hill as the innings eater for the Pirates. On a one-year deal, I don't hate it, but I think the big takeaway is here, um, teams, you got to be selective with the qualifying offer, especially for guys that look like they may be having that career peak year. Best case scenario for everyone here is Perez pitches really well the first half of the season. Let him do a contender. Let him do a contender. Maybe even back to Texas. Maybe. Although they're getting a lot of arms back around that. The DeGrom's not supposed to come back, is he? I think so. He got Tommy John pretty early. Yeah, but he gets hurt a lot. I meant to ask earlier what you think the Mets do this offseason, and this kind of plays into it. Mets made a trade. They acquired Adrian Hauser and Tyrone Taylor from the Brewers for minor leaguer Coleman Crow. Um, they were in on Yamamoto, and David Stearns requi- acquires two of his former Brewers. Um, Hauser's 31 in February and has been a solid contributor for the Brewers the last few seasons, mostly as a starter. 120 games, 97 starts since 2019. Um, 
523 and two-third innings, 404 ERA, 19.2% strikeout rate. Um, back end starter with one year of team control. But again, when you look at, you know, he's only going to make around 5.6 to $6 million in arbitration. When you look at what starting pitchers are going for, um, it's kind of a bargain, all things considered, you know, especially when, like, the Jack Flaherty's, obviously Flaherty is more upside, but, like, $14 million. Um, Taylor's, you know, basically a play-around-the-diamond type uh, utility guy, so nothing to really report there. You know, look, for the Mets, if they're not going to go for it this year, they have their ace in Sanga, you know, Sevy. They have a lot of guys that I think, uh, Sevy with the upside play, you try to flip them, Hauser the same thing, but, you know, if any at all, who would you say is the um, Bavada favorite for the Mets to go and make a move in free agency? Or do you think at this point, after you see a move like this, they actually are content just kind of resetting for a year and then going, you know, spending their money in 2025 when they're a little closer to contention? I think it is the latter. I don't think C is going to do anything overkill here. So they're happy. They'll chill. Like, it's, it's, it's another lost year. They went all in. It didn't work. They're going to hit the reset, and Steve will get impatient and probably go all in next offseason. Giants signed a backup catcher, Tom Murphy. Two-year deal with a club option for 2026, worth $8.25 million guaranteed. Can max out at $12 million. 807 plate appearances with Seattle. Murphy blasted uh, 38 home runs in the last few years, hitting 253, 24, 460 overall, which is well above average in one of the sports more pitcher-friendly parks. Um, again, he's going to be the backup catcher here behind Patrick Bailey, who's 24 years old. Yeah, it's such an uninspiring roster. You know, good good depth move here. Uh, to me, the biggest the biggest difference and why people talk about. Um, let me just pull up for argument's sake the 2014 Giants. You know, the San Francisco Giants now, like Joey Bart was the number two pick in the draft, and this means he's just about done, I would say. Um, you know, you look at this, you look at the Giants and why they were so good in the 2010s. Posey, homegrown. Belt, homegrown. Panic, homegrown. Crawford, homegrown. Pablo, homegrown. Um, on the pitching side of things, Madbum, homegrown. Lincecum, homegrown. Kane, homegrown. Vogelsong, I'm going to call homegrown because he, he a, with them, went and then came back. Um, in-house reclamation project. In-house reclamation project. The whole bullpen. And I think that's the biggest thing the Giants are lacking. Um, it's not even so... I mean, look, the inability to land a free agent is certainly one thing. But you look... The guys who won them championships, like Hunter Pence, I feel like, was the biggest free agent they got throughout those runs. And even him, they traded for. Um, it was the Mike Morses, the Angel Pagans, the... Cody Rosses, the Juan Uribe's, Edgar Renteria's, where they had such homegrown, such a strong homegrown talent base that it didn't matter that they couldn't attract the marquee names. Um, And to me, that's just as big of an issue as the fact that nobody wants to go. Is they just haven't developed any stud homegrown talent? It feels like in the last ten years. I did not realize Adam Duvall was uh, on that Giants team. Nor did I. Is that the? Can you? Same Adam Duvall. But I don't think he got a ring for it okay. based on his baseball reference page. Either way, that, there, there's a huge issue over in San Francisco. Maybe it's time for Farhan at the sidelines. It's just like, again, with all these guys, you could be the smartest guy in the room, but like at a certain point, you got to make the moves. Being the smartest guy in the room is helpful. It buys you a lot of time, but at the end of the day, the results aren't there. And they haven't been there in a while. 
Like they had that random hundred that that hundred seven win Giants team is gonna go down in the annals as one of the more random dominant regular season teams ever. And I I don't know is Melvin that much of an upgrade over Kapler? Like those guys wouldn't. The, Melvin did a bad job in San Diego last year. I know he's long track record of success, but he did he he was not good last year. That team drastically underperformed, and is that really the savior? I think it's they they need something to change there and. I don't think Melvin was the right guy. I, I, I don't know. It could be a long baseball in the Bay Area. Not, not a good combo at the moment. Could be tough. Um, we reported this a couple weeks ago, but now it's official. There were some rule changes that were officially passed by the rules committee this week. Um, it is going to be with a pitch clock. There will be with runners on base. Pitchers will have 18 seconds down from 20 this year. Um, and that's because over the course of the season, um, from April to September, the average pace of a nine-inning game grew by more than seven minutes. The runners lane, after years of complete, uh, complaints, the MLB will widen the dirt area along the first baseline by six inches next season. And there will be fewer mound visits. Uh, we'll go from five to four, but a team will get a mound visit in the ninth inning. Um, and catchers will only be allowed to call for a mound visit to avoid a clock violation. Catchers now will be allowed to call for a mound visit to avoid a clock violation, but will not actually have to go through the formality of going the mound to the mound um, to help the pace of play there. Um, there were three other tweaks to pace of game rules. MLB will shave 15 seconds off time. Relievers have to warm up if they're late leaving the bullpen after a minute inning pitching change. They will now have two minutes to complete warming up from the time they leave the bullpen. It's at the previous 2.15. After a foul ball, the pitch clock will start when the pitcher has the ball and all fielders have made it back to their positions. And any pitcher warms up at the start of an inning now will be required to face at least one hitter. Um, and this change comes in response to an increase in the number of times in which a pitching change took place after a pitcher had warmed up before the start of an inning, mostly after the announcement of a pinch hitter. Before we talk about the player's reaction, um, the base lane thing, I like. All um, this stuff I like. The, it, mound, the mound visit thing, I like. The rest of the stuff I didn't think is unnecessary. Um, the pitch clock was a good thing. I, I, look, I, the pitch clock itself was such a drastic change to pitchers' routine, and giving them even less time to warm up, less time for the pitch clock. I, it just, again, this feels like change for the sake of change on some level. And the players reacted accordingly. Um, Tony Clark said, This afternoon, the players' reps voted against the 2024 rule change proposed by the commissioner's office. As they made clear in the competition committee, players strongly feel that following last season's profound changes to the fundamental rules of the game, immediate additional changes are unnecessary and offer no meaningful benefits to fans, players, or the competition on the field. He, he might be right, but it, it, it's going to make it go a little bit quicker, and the changes aren't drastic enough that it's going to cause tremendous performance issues, and by May, we won't recognize the difference. I hope you're right. Um, luxury tax news. The Mets are paying a record luxury tax of nearly $101 million after a fourth-place finish in their division among an unprecedented eight teams that owe the penalty for the 2023 season. Um, Steve Cohen's Mets finished with a tax payroll of $374.7 million, which topped the previous high of the 2015 Dodgers um, at $291.1 million, uh, which sets their tax bill to right around $101 million, which more than doubled the prior high of $43.6 million by the 2015 Dodgers. And amazingly enough, they did save about $18 million for this year uh, with their summer sell-off of trading Scherzer, Verlander, David Robertson, and Mark Kana. Um, their projected taxpayer on June 30th was 30, 30, $384 million, um, which would have resulted in a tax $8.4 million higher there. Uh, the Padres, Yankees, Dodgers, Phillies, Blue Jays, Braves, and Rangers also paid the tax in order, with the Blue Jays, Braves, and Rangers paying the tax for the first time. Yanks and Mets were the only teams to ex exceed the Steve Cohen threshold of $293 million there. 
uh, with the previous high for taxpayers being 6 in 2016 and last year. Uh, and the Angels, I guess to their credit, did get under the luxury tax payroll by putting all those guys on waivers um, there. So I have a couple thoughts here. Or do you want to give your thoughts on the Angels first, and I'll let you cook. The Angels. No, I don't have anything to say about the Angels. They're they're sad. They're sad because they, they try, and then they still suck. Some of these other teams that suck, like the A's, they're not trying. The Angels try so fucking hard, and they just suck so bad every time. It's remarkable. I feel like it's dumbfounding how inept the Angels can be as an organization. All right, so right now there was a record of eight. Um, what would you set the Bavada over under at for teams who actually spend a ton of money and have to make luxury tax payments? Eight of 32 feels like a good number. If a quarter of the league's going over the luxury tax, I can live with that. I would say, yeah, that seems positive to me. Eventually, you're, I feel like you want to, if, you, if you're going to call it a penalty, you'd want to penalize the top 25% of the team. At a certain, if, you, if too many teams are in this luxury tax, then, then the number's too high. And you know what? Look, we as Yankee fans have bitched and moaned about how the team, in our mind, doesn't spend money. Um, but food for thought, they were the only, the second team ever to go over that luxury tax. And again, the Yankees are proof. It's not about how much money you spend. It's just about how smartly you spend it. Yes. And they've spent it on a lot of dumb fucks. Josh Donaldson, I'm looking at you the last couple of years. Rodon after this season. I'm going to give Rodon one more year to bounce back. And if he still sucks, uh, then he's my own worst enemy. Oh, I got to show you uh, a purchase I made. Oh, let's see it. Um, I'll get going about Camden Yards, and then I'm sure you'll have input because you've been there a bunch, and we both like the stadium. Uh, but the good thing is the Orioles officially are not going anywhere. The state of Maryland and the team have approved a new lease for Camden Yards, um, which will keep them there for the next 30 years. Interestingly, they're only committed for the next 15. If the club and the state can agree to a development plan for the surrounding area in the next four years, the lease can be expanded from 15 to 30 years. Um, but from now, they're going to be able to borrow $600 million of a new Maryland law for stadium upgrades. They're going to be there for at least the next 15 years, which is great. And the 30-year pact also has four extensions of five years available, meaning the club could potentially stay for 50 years as part of the deal. Um, and again, if everything is approved, it's possible to change the terms of the 30-year agreement. But Camden Yards is here to stay, and that's great. Give me your thoughts, and I'm going to go get my purchase to show you. Camden Yards is an awesome place to watch a baseball game right in the heart of downtown Baltimore. Uh, but more importantly for baseball on the whole, they're, the Baltimore Orioles are a historic franchise. That's a team with deep long, deep roots in that city. And now that and look, with the Oakland A's lo- leaving, I think it'll be a really, really just weird look for baseball to have two of their more storied historical franchises relocate. So Baltimore staying where it is. Happy Camden Yards is great, should be there. Uh, so I think everybody wins here, especially with that team coming up the way it looks like it's going to be a force for a while once they get one fucking pitcher in there. So I think everybody should be happy that the Baltimore Orioles are staying put in Camden Yards. One more acquisition news that dropped late um, Yanks are trading Estevan Florio to Cleveland in exchange for right hander Cody Morris. I don't know. I'm not even going to take the time to read about Cody Morris. It's why you don't overvalue prospects and trades. So, all right. So, here's what I wanted to rank with you. Uh, where does Florio in the top 10 to 12 years rank in terms of overhyped Yankee prospects who amounted to nothing and we flipped for just about nothing? He's pretty high on the list. I would say the, the worst example of it is Andahar because he wasn't that hyped as a prospect, but he actually proved it in the league and then ended up getting DFA. 
Yeah. I mean, Montero, we cashed in for Pineda, so that was good. Um, I think there was a guy, it was something Adams, um, who was like a holdup in the Cliff Lee trade. Um, oh, was it a, uh, fuck, what's his name? Nunez? Yeah, Eduardo Nunez, who ended up making an all-star team and won a ring with the Red Sox, but he was the holdup in a big trade. Um, what was the holdup in the Verlander trade? I don't think it was. Oh, it was on. that other guy? It was the, wasn't there a second Aaron? Aaron, not Aaron Judge, not Aaron Hicks. Or Austin? Was didn't we not want to give up Austin? Tyler Hedges? Austin. Tyler Austin. Tyler Austin add to the list. Greg Bird. Um, yeah, a lot of sad things of late. But here was my purchase. Yeah, that's not my. So you know, I'm a sucker for uh, the New York Yankees and custom. Uh, what what's the company called again? Comfort Colors T-shirts. Um, and again, I went, I said I have not bought a Yankee shirt in quite some time, but I did in fact get my Soto Shuffle shirt in the mail for the holidays. I like that chase. The Bronx Shuffle Juan Soto from John Boy. So Bavada has that as the minus two hundred favorite to be your opening day or your first Yankee game T-shirt. I'll go with the pinstripes for my first. Well, actually, hold on. Let me see who we're playing. Odds are there may there may be hold on I'm looking at the schedule right now because I have it in uh, Yanks Marlins I'll go pinstripes but Yanks Rays Saturday game I'm not gonna want to wear a jersey I'll go uh, I'll go with the Soto Shuffle the 420 Soto Shuffle oh yeah definitely gonna need to be in a t-shirt for that don't sleep on jeez oh, you also I mean there's some good value for all those betters out there that you wear the green Jeter jersey I'll wear it for Yanks A's. So that they just feel like they at least have some kind of support. That's nice of you. Um, all right, I got some. I got three tweets and then some miss. Um, the miss, Otani, best gift giver in the history of gifts. What do you get? Oh yeah, Joe Kelly's wife a Porsche. Joe Kelly gave up the number seventeen for Otani, and Kelly's wife kind of led the push, so he got her a Porsche. I don't like Joe Kelly. I call him the human hemorrhoid. He's annoying. I like Joe Kelly when he's going against the Astros, though. Uh, you sent this tweet to me. We were actually both talking about it. I think you saw it because I liked it. This is from Johnny Lasagna. Imagine in 2023, you had a 2-2-5 ERA and 32 starts, had 234 strikeouts in 180 innings, 11.7 Ks per nine, and won your second Cy Young, and everyone is head over heels about a dude from a foreign baseball league who has never thrown a pitch in MLB, and that's Blake Snell's reality, and it's pretty wild. It is weird. I, I don't know. I, he's good. Someone's going to get a good deal. All right, this is a list that I like to look at habitually. Um, the largest contract in franchise history for every MLB team. Ready for some funny ones? Yes, sir. Well, do you want the funny ones in terms of player name or just like the funny dollars? Whatever. We can just go down the list. Angels, Trout, 10 for 360. Uh, and you know what? Let's also say it paid off or didn't pay off. Yeah. I'd say that paid off. I would not. Five, here, look at that. five for 151 with Altuve with the Astros paid off. I mean, the the A's being $66 million is so bad. Yeah, but Chavez, but Chavez was good. Springer, 6 for 150, incomplete. Incomplete, but trending. Riley, five. 10 for 212 will be fine. Mm-hmm. Yelich, 7 for 188.5. Nah, he went down when he signed it. Yeah, because he signed it after the MVP years. Goldschmidt, 5 for 130. Yup. Hayward, 8 for 184. Fuck it, they got the ring. Granke, 6 for 206.5 with the D-backs. No. I think he was all right there. Uh, yeah, but just like yeah, Otani, to be determined. Posey eight for one fifty nine. I'd say yes. Yep. J Ram seven for one twenty nine. So far, I would say yes. Cano ten for two forty. No. 
Probably not, but I think he was good. Stan in 13 for 125. Uh, for the Marlins, half, yes. Yeah, Marlins got it. For the Yankees, no. Lindor, 10 for 341. I'm going to say yes. Yeah, he's going to be a star shortstop for a decade. Strasburg, 7 for 245. Maybe Probably. the worst contract in baseball history. Probably not. Davis, 7 for 161. Resounding, though. The current uh, title holder, worst contract in baseball history. No, I think it's still Strasburg's teammate, Anthony Rendon. Yeah, Rendon sucks. Tatis, 14 for 340. Remains to be seen. Harper, 13 for 300 with the Phillies. Already worth it. Resounding, yes. Brian Reynolds, 7 for 100 with the Pirates. Yeah, it'll be fine. Um, Rangers, 10 for 325 with Seager. Yes. This may be the worst contract, actually. The Rays finally paying a guy 11 for 182, and he may or may not be a sex offender. Yeah, but they can get out of it, so. Uh, Devers, 10 for 313.5 with the Red Sox. Incomplete. Reds, 10 for 225. Votto, I'm going to still say yes. There was way more good than bad. It's it's nice to have Votto around. Rain Rocky seven for two thirty four for Arenado yes for him no for the team Salvi four for eighty two I mean he was an all star didn't he lead the league in homers in twenty twenty two he's Salvi's a good hang Miggy eight for two eight forty eight disaster given when he was signed in twenty fourteen Correa six for two hundred not good so far yeah they won the division Penitendi five for seventy five from the White Sox lols it's weird that that's the biggest one for the White Sox and Judger uh, yes. Whoa, I don't know what is going on here. All right, I found this list. Best baseball scenes from non-baseball films. They have my favorite one. Well, that's number one, and I think that's the consensus. The Naked Gun. Oh, it's incredible. You have Reggie. You have a young Joe West. A lot going on there. Enrico Palazzo. What would we say for the rest? Let's let's do a top three. Am I supposed to think of movies? Yeah, like name a few. Well, does like are they would they count Goodwill Hunting in this? So that they have two, and I'll agree with Goodwill Hunting. They have Cuckoo's Next Three, um, which I like a lot, which is when they recreate it. I, to me, number maybe even two over Goodwill Hunting. Um, the Goodwill Hunting is iconic just because it's Robin Williams in winning in an Oscar winning role, recounting that World Series game. I'm gonna go Bueller too, though, when they're at the Cubs game. Oh, that's classic. That's just such an iconic scene that I go Bueller too. Then they have Men in Black, Hook, Traffic, Captain America. Um, and you know what? All right, so my top five, I'll go the Naked Gun one, Bueller two, Goodwill Hunting three, Cuckoo's Nest five, because this, um, you have to include it, I think, as number four, because in 2015 and Back to the Future 2, they said the Cubs were going to win the World Series. I'm going to go off the board. And the fact that they were only a year off, it's kind of wild. I'm going to go with my... Can I go with the write-in option? Sure. The other guys. When... Uh, oh, Jeter? When they shoot Jeter, yeah. Oh, I'm going to go with another write-in option. Anger management. When Sandler yeah, yeah, proposes yeah, yeah, yeah. and Clemens is going, Goose Fraba. Goose Fraba. I'm going to see what else we can get here. Top baseball scenes in comics. This is... I'm not sure. Oh, we're going... I mean, these are all baseball movies, though. I like the That's My Boy scene when they're just, like, getting wasted and Sandberg can't catch. Yeah. Um, rookie of the Year, yeah. I mean, most of these are baseball, baseball, Bull Durham, baseball, Field of Dreams, baseball. Yeah, it's going to be tough to... Oh, okay, baseball. It's a t- tough Google search here. I know. I don't really know how else to search it. So I'm pretty happy with that list. But I think everyone's consensus is that Naked Gun is number one. 
Uh, and that makes me happy. I agree with Megan. God. It's so funny. It's great. I'm trying to think about Well, that'll be my homework assignment for next week. Any concluding thoughts for this week's podcast or, uh, you know, just the year 2023 in general? Happy, healthy, everyone. That's it. Happy, healthy New Year. Um, I'm going to leave that, include something important. I can't believe you didn't just mention. Hook em horns. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's next year's problem. Playoff game next Monday. Um, yeah, look, everyone enjoy your new year. Reflect on all that good stuff. Make New Year's resolutions that you're going to break a week into the new year. But spend it with family. Spend it with friends. If you're going to the Fish concert, give me a shout. We'll be there for like seven hours. It'll be nice to see some friends. And uh, look, we'll see next week. The big dominoes have fallen. So maybe the hot stove will burn a little bit to start 2024. And we'll get some more moves then. But for the last time in 2023, with Bryce Holden, my name is Jason Bedorsky. And this is the Underdog Sports Baseball Show.